I believe everyone has a story to share. I'm on a journey to discover the magic inside each person's story. Each week, I will introduce you to guests where I will dig deep and uncover the beautiful miracles from life and experiences to inspire and encourage you to live life to the fullest. My goal is to give each guest a platform to share their lives with the world in hopes that someone will be inspired to take action and live life with passion and purpose. Welcome to the Uncover Your Magic podcast with me, Ashley Goner. Are you ready? Here we go. Hello and welcome back to Uncover Your Magic. Oh, today, let me prepare you for this amazing conversation I had with Coot Blackson. I found him on another podcast. You know, I love listening to other podcasts and finding my guests that way. Then I ordered his book and then I started sharing his book (laughs) to everybody that I could send it to because it was that powerful to me. So I connected with him. We set this date. And then after I finished his book, I realized the power in the universe and how when you are in alignment and you have set your intention and you are ready and open for whatever comes, it all comes, (laughs) everything. And Kud is an example of that to me. You know, he's a little bit younger than I am. He's in his 40s and he's been around and just to find him now is like amazing to me because when I look at his website and I watch his videos, I'm thinking, where has he been? Because you know that when someone this powerful comes into my path, I want to share him with my world. (laughs) But let me give you just a little background, his bio, so you can kind of get an idea of where he's come from and what his story is about before I bring him on. Coop Blackson is a beloved inspirational speaker and transformational teacher. He is author of the national best-selling book, You Are the One, and the book I just read, The Magic of Surrender. He is widely considered the next generation leader in the field of personal development and has been featured on Larry King Live Now, Fox and Friends, Dr. Drew, as well as Inc. Magazine calls him the mindfulness guru billionaires go to for advice. Coot Blackson offers a fresh, bold look at spiritual awareness for a whole new generation. Born in Ghana, West Africa, Coot's multicultural upbringing as a child of a Japanese mother and a Ghanaian father has spanned four different continents. His unique lineage lay the foundation for his approach to breaking down barriers and unlocking an individual's true gifts and greatness. For over 20 years, Coot Blackson has been inspiring audiences around the world from the first time he spoke in front of 3,000 people at the age of eight to speaking in over 300 venues by age 18 to helping organizations develop authentic leadership and achieve extraordinary performance over the last decade. His electrifying presentations not only offer real-world practical ideas and soul-stirring wisdom, 
that also ignite the heart and inspire courageous action. He is on a mission and he will awaken you and inspire you. And he will, once you listen to this episode, you'll understand my passion I have with Coot and understand that, you know, I love magic and I love surrender. Those are my two favorite words. And when I found Coot, I didn't even know he wrote the book, The Magic of Surrender. So then I'm like, whoa, okay. Then I go down that book and I just, I realize in my life, every time I have experienced magic is when I surrendered. And when I surrender and trust, and if my gift to you today in this episode is for you to see your life as one step at a time. And when you live in that place of the highest vibration and you open your eyes to all the magic and just trust and surrender the process and know you are being guided and know you are being led and trust that voice. And I always say, you know, when that voice talks and you know that's your intuition, your higher self, the one that leads you to this magical life that we are here to live, nothing but magic. That is all that we are here to live is magic. And when you realize that and you know that everything's for your highest good and everything is for you, never to you, that is when life becomes this magical place that I want you all to experience. Because once you do, this this planet will take on a whole new meaning and your life will take on a whole new meaning. So... Let me bring on this beautiful soul you are going to start following and reading his books and being transformed like I have. Please welcome Coot Blackson to the show. Welcome, Coot. Thanks for having me. You are so welcome. And as I said before we hit record, you have done something to me. (laughs) Where have you been all my life? Oh my (laughs) gosh. I just finished your book, uh, The Magic of Surrender. And Knowing, getting, um, having someone introduce me without even knowing that was your book and knowing that the magic of surrender, those are my two favorite words. And in my life, every time I have surrendered and what I've learned from you too, of how you've learned that is magic. And so the name of my podcast is called Uncover Your Magic. And I'm going to uncover all your magic today. Well, as much as I can in an hour, but, um, Anyway, I just can't thank you enough. I really could sit here and watch your videos, listen to you, watch your, listen to your book again. <laughs> Thanks. I could over and over and yeah. probably never get sick of it. I would just yeah. sit there and get something new every time. And it's so, when you realize how simple life is yeah. and when it comes to love and what you're about yeah. and how you make people and realize like, you know, we just been programmed our whole life to believe otherwise. And let's just get down to it. And what you do for people. Oh, mm. here we go. Okay. Mm. I would love for you to start. Yeah. We're 14. Sure. And you had to tell your dad he was, tell, yeah, tell us kind of about your mom and dad. Because that even is at the beginning of the book where I really started to understand, you know, where you came from. So people understand that. Yeah. Well, about my mom and dad will. That that could be a whole nother story. So <laughs> yeah, you know, you tell me which aspects you want me to share. But but just for the general setting, I was born in Ghana, West Africa. My father's from Ghana. My mother's Japanese. I grew up in London. I live in the U.S. now uh, for the last twenty plus years. So I feel like I'm a citizen of the world. And for me, 
as a young boy, I was a very sensitive kid. And so I felt people's pain very deeply. And there was always a part of me that wanted to alleviate suffering in some way. And uh, I just didn't know what that would look like. And as a young kid, my first memories were around age seven, age eight, actually, was seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor. She picks up the sand that this man walks on, wipes it on her face and stands up. And so week after week, I grew up seeing blind people see and deaf people hear. And the same man whose hand she picked up would look at a woman in a wheelchair and say, why are you in this wheelchair? You're not sick. And he would put his hands on them and they would stand up. And um, somebody would come in with crutches and he would put his hands on them and they would stand up. And so I grew up seeing miracles. And uh, I didn't think anything of it, to be honest. I didn't think it was unusual. This was my everyday normal reality, you know? And uh, I think it was a blessing because... I grew up with the sense that this was normal and the sense of possibilities, which I think it, it was a huge blessing for me. And so when I was age eight, so the man who stand, uh, she picked up and was the one who was doing all these miracles was, was my father. And he had about 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa. He was a very spiritual, mystical, metaphysical kind of character human. So I was blessed to grow up in a very spiritual environment. My mother was Buddhist, so she would. I grew up meditating with her. Hmm. And he had a huge church in London, in South London, 5,000 people every Sunday. And so when I was age eight, I started speaking in my father's audience. And that was my first speech. And that began my relationship with speaking and my passion for communicating. And then when I was 14, I was ordained as a minister. And that began a whole nother journey in that I was designated the successor to my father's organization. I was the young one who was going to take over and a lot of pressure in terms of everybody's hopes and dreams on me and everyone. My my entire life was basically carved out for me by everybody and my father. And at 14, I knew I wanted to help people, but I just had this feeling that this was not my path. But at 14, you know, I was a kid on one level, very mature, but as a kid on one level. And so I think like many of us, I was too afraid to speak my truth. My fear was if I spoke my truth to my father, then I would be alone. If I spoke my truth, then I would be an outcast. If I spoke my truth, then I would lose his love and be abandoned. And so... I allowed fear to inhibit my voice and my expression. And I said nothing for four years till I was 18. Went through a lot of inner turmoil. And when I was 18, that's when shit hit the fan. And I knew I had to, I had some choices to make. I looked into my future and I saw that I could follow the expected path and take over the church and be successful by the world standards. But if I didn't have myself, if I didn't have my soul, if I didn't have my integrity, if I didn't have my, if I didn't have my own sanity, then what, what kind of success is that? And I felt as though if I lied to myself now to get the love, validation and approval from my father, I'm going to have to lie to myself for the rest of my life. And that felt incredibly painful. And I looked into my future and I felt my soul literally pulling me and calling me to come to America, specifically Southern California, specifically LA, San Diego. As a kid, I just heard about San Diego because this is where all of the authors, you know, Louise Hay and Tony Robbins and Deepak Chopra and like Marianne Williams, this was the mecca for personal growth. And so I thought, this is the place I want to be. I felt my soul calling me to go into this field 
because I just wanted to do it in a different way than the religion or the church. And, and, you know, I think sometimes when your soul calls you, it's not always convenient and it doesn't always make sense to your mind and it's not always comfortable. But I really feel as though when you follow your soul, you will always end up in the right place, even though the route that you take is not the one that you most expect. And so yeah. I said, yes. And that's when my life shifted because I knew what I had to do, which was have that conversation with my father. I uh, renounced everything, left everything behind, grieved my life, basically, grieved, like made peace with the fact that I would not have a relationship with my father, or so I thought. And right. I spoke to him at 18 and we didn't speak for two basically told him I'm not taking over. We didn't speak for two years, which was incredibly painful. And then I ended up coming to Los Angeles with two suitcases, $800 in my pocket and a dream. And went and found many of the mentors and the teachers that I read about. And, And these were folks who my father had an office. In his office was a bookshelf with hundreds of books of these figures, Wayne Dyer, Chopra, Marianne, Louise Hay. And I went and found many of these folks, you know, and studied with some of them, learned from some of them, went to the seminars. And after a couple of years of being in the US, I kind of got a new vision for myself and my life. And I had this feeling like, I want to know truth for myself. I'm tired of like just reading information. I want to know what God is. I want to know what my purpose is. I want to know why I'm here and who I am. Like, I want to know. And that's when I was guided to start traveling. And I ended up in Israel. I ended up in Thailand. I ended up walking the Camino in Northern Spain as a young man. I ended up in India for a few months. And that's when everything disintegrated and came together. And I got a deeper sense of my purpose and my life and who I am. And then I came back again to the US and began working with people one-on-one 20 some years ago, 20 years ago. And working with people and coaching people before coaching was popular and things just grew, you know, and evolved. And one person came and another person came and I started formulating my own way of working with people and people started coming from around the world and it just evolved and grew and people's life transformed and small groups, larger groups, larger groups and two books. And it just has blossomed to this moment. Ah, Love it. There's so much I want to talk about. I think because I'm fresh off your book, Mm. The Magic of Surrender. There's so many stories in there that I want you to share a little bit because when you talk about surrender, I know that your first experience was when your mom got cancer Yeah, and how you had to realize how she lived her life and how your mom and dad didn't even know each other before they got married. Oh, that's another story. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, let's talk about surrender because Mm. I do find the magic in that. And I do understand that when people say, oh, I just surrender. I mean, you use the example of when Oprah Winfrey wanted the color purple and how she just finally said, I surrender. But the way that you put it, it's like, it's not just sit down and wait for that to happen. Surrender, there's action in that. Yeah, there's this misconception, I think, in our culture that surrender is weak and surrender is passive and surrender is giving up and surrender is waving the white flag and surrender is doing nothing. Surrender means being a victim, being a doormat, sitting around, being lazy, giving up everything and going to the Himalayas, so to speak, you know, having having robes and that's it. And so I think There's this resistance to me. If that was what surrender was, I wouldn't be very inspired myself. And so it's not the the limited definition that we have on surrender is not that exciting. And so I wanted to reframe 
a possibility of surrender that really inspired people. Like if you really understood the real essence of surrender and what it is, it's like the sense of if I surrender, I'm going to get less. But no, if you surrender, what if you got more, more than you could have even imagined and visualized and intended and planned with your own limited human mental logic and awareness? Like maybe not what you expected, but beyond, better, more. And so I really feel that surrender is the the key to the next level of our lives. I really feel that surrender is the real secret to manifestation, like truly manifesting authentically. I feel that surrender was the key for all of the great ones. If you look at Jesus, you look at Buddha, you look at Gandhi, you look at Mother Teresa, you look at uh, Martin Luther King, you, you look at Mandela, Bruce Lee, Muhammad Ali, at some point they all surrendered themselves you know they all surrendered themselves to life they all surrendered themselves to the universe they all surrendered themselves to the divine they all surrendered themselves to the deepest impulse that was seeking to express through them and in that surrender i think they were able to transcend their human limitations and tap into another dimension of potential of life and life was able to live through them life was able to move through them life was able to manifest through them and that's the the zone of magic and so For those listening, I think, yes, surrender is a letting go of control, or I should say the illusion that we're in control. Surrender is a letting go of trying to force, and I think that's the key word, trying to force and manipulate life to fit our limited ego's ideas of how we think it should be, who we think we should be, how we think life should be. Surrender is taking the limitations off of life so that we can be it's an openness, it's an availability, it's a receptivity, it's a willingness to allow life to lead us and show us and guide us and live us and reveal itself to us. And I think when we're open in that way, that's where the magic happens, you know? And so the old paradigm, I think, way of living and creating, it comes more from the place of like, what do you want? And get clear on what you want. You as a limited ego, separate sense of self. Like get clear on what you want. And I say you might get what you thought you wanted. It's true. You can. You can manifest from the level of mind, the level of ego. But at some point, you realize maybe what you thought you wanted was not what you really wanted. It was just what you thought you wanted based on who you thought you were. And many times our intentions and manifestations and things that we try to make happen can be limited projections of even unmet needs from childhood. And so for me, the real question in surrender is a, it's a slightly different focus. It's a more infinite expanded invitation to sit with, not what do I want? But what is it that life is seeking to express through me? What is it that the universe is seeking to express? What is the deepest yearning and expression and calling of my soul, the deepest truth that my soul is seeking to express? And it's about feeling into that and aligning with that and then aligning your mind, your thoughts, your thinking, your skills, your resources, your money, your strategy, your goal setting with what's true then giving 100%. So it doesn't mean just sitting around doing nothing. Once you get a line, you might work harder than you've ever worked. You, you might work 22 hours a day in order to manifest the vision that is true, but it's it's in alignment with your soul. It's in alignment with truth, not just what you think you want with your mind. So whilst taking actions, part of surrender is giving 100%, but also not getting attached to the outcome, not getting so attached to the outcome, thinking it has to look this way, it has to be this way, and that's where the openness, the availability, and the receptivity comes along. So I think surrender is 
is the real password to freedom. Yes. Oh gosh. It's like sitting here listening to you. It's like, I'm just mesmerized. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So when you went to India, the accepting of your death, the acceptance of death. Yes. There was a shift, a pivot right there, right? When you had that Mm -hmm. experience, when you're in the car and you almost went on Mm -hmm. that narrow road and you accepted death and then it just transformed the way you looked at your life. Yeah, look, I, I was I was sleeping in the back of a car in the middle of nowhere in India, and I woke up and I saw this the car I was in going at like a hundred and some miles an hour, oncoming truck coming, and in a split second I was sure I was going to die. And in that moment, there was nothing I could do. There was nothing that could be done. I I could jump out of the car. I could resist, and there was a profound freedom because I realized in that moment there's nothing I could do. So I just accepted and let go. And that was incredibly freeing. And my life flashed in front of me, all these images, but there was a piece. And I remember closing my eyes and thinking, wow, is this it? And I closed my eyes. Within seconds, the car spun around off of the road, it felt like. And then it happened so quickly, but in slow motion. And then I opened my eyes and I was still around. And I I was a bit dazed. And I remember thinking, am I alive? What's going on? And but yeah, I think so many of us, we're so busy trying to avoid death and run away from death. But I think, and this is a level of surrender too, part of it is embracing your death, like face your death, embrace your death. You you are going to die. We're right. going to die. There's no way out. Many of us, we spend so much of our lives just resisting death. But when we can embrace, and I think in resisting death, we resist life. We resist living fully. And I think when we can just embrace death, it gets us in touch with the sacredness of the moment, the sacredness of life, the sense as though there is no tomorrow, there's now. And now becomes so sacred, so beautiful, so precious, so alive, so real, you know? And I think I ask people, if death came right now, would you be ready? And Mm -hmm. if not, why not? Like what's ungiven? And what's unsaid and what's unexpressed. Many of us, we don't express, we don't do, we don't give. We don't express who and what we really are because we think we have tomorrow. We think we've got next year. We think we've got next week. We th- And we don't. We hold grudges waiting for the other person to apologize and holding these, you know, sometimes petty grudges because we think we have time. And the truth is we don't. And so if death came right now, would you be ready? If not, why not? what's unsaid, what's ungiven, what's unfulfilled. Because I think when we die and we meet our maker, whatever we believe, we can't go to God and say, can I get a refund on those Mm -hmm. two years I wasted in that relationship that I knew wasn't right? Can I get a refund in that job I hated that I knew was not in alignment with my purpose? You know, And so I think life is sacred. For me, I really got in touch with the sacredness of life when my mother passed away. In the book I write about, my mother was diagnosed with stomach cancer in 2016. And I began to fly back and forth from Los Angeles to London literally every month. And I'd be with her one week out of every month in in London. And my intention was I was going to go take all of my metaphysical, spiritual, alternative health knowledge. I was going to heal my mother, green powders and supplements and I went there and I, w- I remember ch- like so trying to force her to get well, 
force feed her supplements. For, and and, and huh. I, I wasn't present with her. I was so attached to, I'm going to will her into health that I was not even with her. And because she wasn't completely cooperating, I was getting so frustrated. We were becoming more disconnected. And I think after a few weeks, if not a month or so, I realized, I think she has her own soul's journey. I don't know what it is. And Mm -hmm. so I, I began to surrender to the possibility. I hope not, but she might die and she has her own journey. And, and that embrace of death and the reality, because we're all going to die, that I remember it freed me up so much to just be with her and just love her. Like every cup of tea with her would be the last. There was no more denial of this moment. Every walk could be the last. The truth is for all of us, it could be the last. This could be the last. I hope not. I'm pretty sure it won't be, but it could be the last <laughs> podcast I ever do, right? right? It could be. And and so I think for me, it just freed me up to really embrace and savor every single moment that I had with her, not knowing I may not have another moment. Tomorrow isn't a right. Then we fully surrendered to the moment. And I saw in that moment... <laughs> What started out as the worst year of my life turned out to be the best year of my life because I just got so close with her. And I remember about six months into the process, I was looked at my mother during her chemo session and I said, Mom, I, strange to say, but I, I really feel like I want to thank cancer because it brought us, we were already close, but it brought us so close. And my only regret was why did it have to take this? to really embrace this moment, to really surrender, to really get the preciousness of every moment of life. And so I remember when the doctor said, about six months into the process, they called us into a meeting and they said to my, I was there, they said to my mother, look, there's nothing else we can do for you. So in a nice way, they basically let you know that you're going to die and so get your affairs in order. And I had been preparing myself for this moment, but it's still devastating when the person you love the most, you realize will not be here very much longer. Mm -hmm. And after this meeting, I looked my mother in the eyes and I said, are you afraid? And she looked at me and she said, no, I'm not afraid. This little Japanese woman, she says, I'm not, I'm not afraid because I know that I'm not just this body. This body will die but it it is a temporary vehicle for my soul and my soul will live on and I'll be with you, guiding you from the other side. And so then I looked at my, and I realized her strength and I looked my mother in the eyes and I said to her, is there anything I can do for you as your son? Like, what, what do you need? What do you want? And she looked at me and she said, there's nothing I need and there's nothing I want. The only thing I want, the only thing I need is what God wants for my life. And I saw in that moment that in the face of death, in the face of mortality, in the face of challenge, my mother was at peace. She was at peace because she was truly surrendered. She wasn't attached to living. She wasn't attached to dying. She was surrendered to the highest unfolding of her soul. And I saw that that was the key, the password to freedom. And I saw in that moment, the living reality of the power of surrender. And 
it gave me a tremendous amount of inspiration, you know, to like, wow, what, what if I not only died that way, but what if I lived that way? What if we live that way without the attachment? Because so often we get so attached to an outcome thinking that the outcome has to be the outcome thinking. This has to be the person. This has to be my soulmate. This has to go this way. And we don't realize that we're often like limiting life. And sometimes our goals are not our goals. Sometimes the goals just seem, sometimes the goals are just a necessary evolutionary puzzle piece or the evolutionary carrot that takes us on a journey, a journey that we have to go through in order to grow through, in order to evolve so that we can develop into and become the people, the persons that have developed the mental, emotional, psychological, spiritual capacity to fulfill the dream and vision. But if we never went and pursued that goal, we wouldn't go on the journey to evolve and grow so that we could actually pivot over here and be guided to our true destiny. And so I think part of surrender is allowing life to lead us rather than us pushing life, allowing the life in its intelligence to guide us. Right. Oh, there's so many. So when you off of that right there is when you went to, you got to the airport talking about letting life guide you, right? You went to the airport and you're like, I'm just going to see where I feel right. I'm going to go fly to. I love this story. So I want you to share this story because I teach a lot about intuition and figuring in that voice and knowing when it's telling you to go, 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 you know, say yes when you have that voice saying go this way. But at this airport, when you get there and, oh, go there. What I don't want people to think is that they have to do something radical. But I figured I'm going to write a book on magic of surrender or surrender. So let me see. Let me like see if this works. Let me see how it works. Let me try to prove that it doesn't work. And so I had just finished an event. This is before that 2018, 19. I just finished an event in um, Bali, Indonesia. And so I had to fly back to LA for a day to sign some documents for a house. And I flew back, signed the documents, and I realized, well, I have to go to Mexico where I have a place to check on some things. But after this, I have seven to eight days where I don't have to be in Los Angeles. And I thought, wow, what if I just work and use this time somewhere else? Where am I going to go? And that's when I just got the vision for the book. And so I decided, let's test the theory of surrender. Let's test it. And I said, I am going to just not make any plan. And I'm going to purely follow the inspiration and intuition of the universe. And I'm pretty much going to say yes to anything. Obviously, nothing dangerous like jump off a building without a parachute, but I'm just going to like, I'm going to say yes to whatever arises. I'm going to be guided and say yes to the flow that arises in front of me. And and just as an experiment without agenda, see where it takes me. So I landed from Mexico back to Los Angeles. I said, okay, now, now, now the journey starts. So I went to Tom Bradley International Airport without a plan. And I walked around the international airport at the different check-in counters, you know, Qantas. I asked the Qantas person, "Mm, when's your next flight? Ah, we go to Brisbane. It's in three hours' time. Here's the price. I said, I'll be back. Then I went to Philippine Airlines. Manila takes off two and a half hours. Here's the price. You can still catch a plane. Then I went to Eva Air, you know, goes to Taipei. I went to like six different airlines. And now people are looking at me like, what's this guy doing? Just going around without a plan. Finally, I was guided to go to Thai Air says there's a flight to $600 going to Bangkok. Now, bear in mind, I had just 
a day ago flown from Asia 20 hours back to LA. The last desire in my mind was to fly back to Asia literally a day later. But everything inside of me just felt this sensation of catch this flight. And I figured, okay, when I catch this flight, by the end of my flight, I'll probably know where I'm going to really go because I'm obviously I've been to Thailand before. I just came back from Asia. So there's probably somewhere else. So I caught this flight, just listening. That's it. And, you know, many people want to receive guidance, but we either don't listen. We don't make the space for listening. And or when we get the guidance, here's the killer. We are constantly questioning, analyzing ourselves, trying to understand what the information and guidance means. And the constant need to understand is another version of the ego's method of control. We mistakenly think that if I can understand what this means, then I won't get hurt. Then I'm going to be safe. Then I can control. Rather than what I have found, when you receive pure inspiration and guidance that arises from a deeper dimension than your mind, it's a different texture. It's a different sensation. It's a different energy that kind of comes through. It's beyond you. It arises from that unconditioned dimension of your being. It has a different feeling. Most of it, because it's arising not from your identity or your conditioning, won't make sense to your mind. It's not meant to make sense to your mind. But if you, what I had to learn to do was not question it. This is a key. Don't question, just act. Don't question, just act. You don't have to know where you're going to get to exactly where you need to be. Don't question, just act. And so, caught the flight, 18 hours, 15 hours, whatever it was, to to Bangkok. Arrive in Bangkok, still no guidance, inspiration. I stay a night in Bangkok the next morning. No, I actually caught a plane. Once I arrived in Bangkok, the only guidance I got was Bali. Now, bear in mind, I had just come from Bali. (laughs) Now I'm thinking, my mind is thinking, you're really crazy because you just... I said I was not going to question. I catch a flight literally back to Bali. Next day I'm back in Bali. The taxi guy picks me up. He says, what are you doing in Bali? You were just here two days, a day ago. I don't know. (laughs) In surrender, I think one of the keys is we have to start embracing not knowing. The degree to which we can experience freedom is the degree to which we can dance and embrace the unknown. That's the key. When we are constantly trying to create life, manifest life from the mind, which is the known, the mind is in the realm of the known, the mind is in the realm of past experience. And so when we create life from the mind, we are kind of recreating from the past in our future, and our future will somehow be limited by the experiences of our past. When we create from the dimension of unknown, then the possibility for what we can manifest is no longer limited to the past because we're not created from the mind. We're creating in sync with our soul and our soul, which is infinite. And so I ended up saying, okay, I'm going back to Bali. I have no idea why I'm here. No idea. Allow life to show you. I went to sleep that night. The next day, I thought, well, I want to go get some lunch. I was going to go to my favorite restaurant to get some fish. On the way there, something, the same thing, same sense says, go to this other place. It's a vegan restaurant. My mind is like, but I don't want to go to a vegan restaurant. I end up in the vegan restaurant. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to follow. Two tables, big table, small table. They see me at the big table by myself. I sit at the big table and I said, okay, universe. I have no idea what I'm doing back in Bali, like literally 40 hours later. I'm going to sit here until you guide me. I'm not moving. So I start journaling. I see someone walk through the door. This is where my jaw dropped, in the jungle in Bali. A guy walks through the door. 
This is a guy I had been wanting to connect with prior to this moment for, for about 12 years. I tried for about 12 years to make and force a meeting to happen with this guy, a media mogul. I had tried every angle, nothing open. Here I am, no idea what the hell I'm doing in Bali at a table in the middle of a jungle. That guy walks through the door of the restaurant. I look at this, this and my mind goes like, my mind is blown because here I have done nothing to make it happen and it is happening. We often mistakenly think you have to make it happen in order to happen and the ego wants to always be the one that's doing it. So inadvertently, we don't realize how we are often getting in our own way. And now I've done nothing and the guy is coming literally (laughs) through the door. My guidance says, don't approach him. I'm like, but, but like, don't approach, don't approach him. So I'm sitting there minding my own business. 10 minutes later, he walks out. A lovely woman walks in. She walks to the side. She looks around. She taps me on the shoulder and she says, can I sit here at this table? It's a huge table. I said, sure. She goes, yeah, m- my friend and I want to sit here. No problem. She makes a phone call. Her friend walks in. She sits to my left. Lo and behold, her dear friend is the guy. He sits to my right, right next to me, sits to my right. For the next three hours, we strike up a a conversation. And he says, so what are you doing in Bali? I look at him and I (laughs) say, I don't know, but I think it may have been to meet you. And we struck up a conversation. We we literally three hours about life and different things and and the effortlessness of of the connection. We exchange numbers. He walks out. Within five minutes of him leaving, he texts me. You know what the text says? God's plan. And sometimes you see life has a bigger plan than anything we could plan for ourselves. But we don't realize with our limited egos attachments, we're getting in the way of what life can do. And to me, that's the magic of surrender. You see, that's the, and so uh, I'll even really. like share one more minute about something. So he leaves. I don't even know if I shared this part in the book, but he leaves. His assistant walks up to the table and she says, I saw you were talking to my boss. Like this was like, looked like an intense conversation. Like, who are you? Blah. We start talking. So she asked me, what are you doing in Bali? I give my whole spiel. I'm going on the seven day thing. I have no idea. Blah. She goes, well, if you ever go to Hong Kong, then I'll introduce you to someone in Hong Kong. So give me a second. I pull out my phone. I said, I have a flight to Hong Kong. She's like, when? I said, I leave in seven hours. She, so, so, <laughs> so she says, here's my friends. Here are two of my friends' phone numbers. I go to Hong Kong. I meet her friend. Me and her friend sit down, very nice restaurant. And you know, we have a great connection, conversation. And he's like, why are you in Hong Kong? I said, I don't know why the hell I'm in Hong Kong. I'm just here in Hong Kong, meeting with you, apparently. And, and he laughs and he says, look, there's two things. He says, turns out he's in media. And he says, I know everybody in Hong Kong and China. Anything you need, I can support you. So you just tell me. He goes, secondly, I would like you to meet with a dear friend of mine. She's an actress. I'm, like, I'm from L.A. Actress, actress, doesn't mean anything to me. <laughs> and so he puts me in a group text with his friend. So that evening, the friend says, oh, meet me at this address. I'm thinking it's, it's an apartment. I walk into the apartment. I don't know this stranger. We basically sit down, start talking. I see a spiritual guru on her bookshelf. And I'm like, oh, that guy, spiritual guru, used to come to me in dreams when I was a kid. We start talking for about six, seven hours about life and this. And she's about to break up with a boyfriend. I give her some coaching and guidance that brings them back together. She's so happy <laughs> now. I mean, all this stuff. And she's like, 
what are you doing in Hong Kong? I said, I have no idea what I'm doing in Hong Kong. And so she says, I don't know if you want to do anything in China, but, you know, I can probably help you if they want to do anything in China. What she didn't know was two months ago, I had a vision of doing huge events, like five, 10,000 people events in China. Huh. And, and, this and isn't in your book, by the way. This is not okay. This is this, no. is, this is like behind <laughs> the scenes. You. This is yeah. behind the scenes, <laughs> extra footage. Uh, uh, <laughs> you know, I uh, I can help you in China. I'm like, oh, cool. Didn't think anything of it. And I said, you know, I thought of doing big events in China, so that would be. She goes, no, I can help you in China for real. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, I was the lead in the highest grossing movie in China, and. Um, I have no, no idea about Chinese, you know, right. Because so I can just know I can help you and I want to help you. And I feel guided to help you. It was like the Titanic of China, the avatar of China is what she was. Oh, in. wow. And, and she says, and my husband, you know, which I had no idea. He's kind of like the Brad Pitt of China. So like, <laughs> I think we're supposed to help you, you know? And so, so all I want to say is when you follow people think that when you surrender bad things are going to happen when you surrender life is going to fall apart when you surrender it's going to be a disaster but i found that when you surrender things that you could not have planned happen and if everyone if you all for a second think about the best things that have ever happened to you in your life everyone for a moment think about the best thing, meeting your lover meeting your soulmate having that kid that amazing did you plan it likely you didn't plan it. Right. We didn't sit there and go, yes, at 5 p.m. on Tuesday, I'm going to meet my soulmate in the coffee shop. It just, ha- things just happened in the process of living life. And so to right. me, this is the possibility of what can happen when you surrender. Yeah. Oh. How many of you drink coffee in the morning? I know most of you do, or if you don't, it's because you have found an alternative to have instead of coffee because of the side effects coffee may have. I have been drinking Four Sigmatic for the past three years because I realized its ingredients were much healthier than just the regular organic coffee I was drinking. Four Sigmatic helps people achieve wellness with the world's most nutrient-dense ingredients. It enhances focus, boosts your mood, and even supports your immune system. It is mixed with functional mushrooms like lion's mane and chaga. These superfoods are some of the most studied wellness supporting supplements on the planet. Try it risk-free today, and if you don't love it, get your money back. Go to go.forsigmatic.com forward slash uncover magic and receive 30% off your order when you use the code UNCOVERMAGIC. When you were talking about soulmates, I love the fact someone was like, Coot, help me meet my soulmate. Or, you know, and you're (laughs) like, will you describe that? Because... Because I always, you know, have friends that are like, oh, I just love to meet my soulmate or tell us, say your words. I don't, are- to be honest, I don't remember what I said in the book, right? Okay. So you, might, you might have to remind me, but I can tell you, you know, I can tell you what's here. Yeah, is I always me. tell people, stop trying to meet your soulmate. If anything, just meet yourself. Stop trying to meet your soulmate. Find your soul. Find your own soul. Because when you connect with yourself and you connect with your own soul and you know who you are, you will attract to you a person that is physical 
mirror representation of who and what you are. In life, you don't get what you want. You don't really get what you pray about, what you meditate about, what you visualize about. You get what you are. That's the bottom line. And relationship is a mirror manifestation of your own consciousness. The person that you attract, your soulmate, the person that you attract is a mirror manifestation of your consciousness. You attract to somebody who mirrors to you the aspects of your own self that you most need to heal, integrate, learn, make peace with, embrace, digest, love even more. And so they are a mirror to you of yourself. You are always attracting an aspect of yourself, whether you like it or not. So look at the mirror. Do you like what you see? If you don't like what you see, stop focusing on what's out here. Stop focusing on the person out here and change yourself. Shift yourself. And I think when you really shift yourself and shift who you are, you will attract to you a person that mirrors that to you. You are in relationship with yourself. You are in relationship with an aspect of yourself that is projected out there. And so don't even try to attract your soulmate. Just connect with yourself. And as you connect with yourself, you start to realize that what you are essentially and who you are essentially is love. That what you are essentially is the essence of love. And when you realize that you are the essence of love, you realize that you don't necessarily need someone. And when you are that love and you stop waiting for a soulmate to show up, you just start being the love that you are in all experiences, moment to moment to moment, being love at the grocery store, being love in traffic, being love at work, being love with your boss, with your employees, with your team, be, being love, radiating love, your heart opens, you become more magnetic, you become more attractive. And as a result, you're much more likely to attract a like frequency resonance to you as out of the manifestation and reflection of you being the love that you are because you're no longer waiting. And I think many of us were waiting to attract the soulmate in order to, to love fully. And I'm saying love fully now, and you're much more likely to attract that right aligned partner to you. And so I think that's the key and foundation. Yes. Oh my gosh. You know what? In your life, you were at the beginning when you were attracting, you were attracting jealous women. <laughs> yeah. We attract what like what you were we saying, like a mirror, yeah, what we are, a mirror of us. Yeah. Everything in these women were jealous, but go back to, so it's kind of explaining to people like, why do I keep bringing the same thing? Why, why? do I keep attracting, right. people say, why do I keep attracting the same people, the same experiences, the same dynamic over and over again? And I often hear people say, there's no good men. There's no, you know, men are this, men are, no, no. If you understand that relationship is a mirror, it will change your life. Because when you understand that relationship is a mirror and you are attracting to you people that mirror to you aspects of your own self that you most need to heal and make peace with and learn, you then make a shift from blaming to taking responsibility, from blaming and being a victim to then healing yourself and realizing that, oh, they're reflecting me parts of myself I most need to heal. And if relationship is a mirror, do you like what you see? No. Some people might say, but I'm not narcissistic. I'm not cheating. I'm not uncommitted. Yeah. Sometimes it's not directly like you do this, they do that. Sometimes it reflects to you. For instance, I hear many women sometimes say to me, oh, I keep attracting guys that are narcissistic. And so it may not be that you're narcissistic. It might just be that he's reflecting the part of you that maybe needs to be more self-focused. You keep attracting disowned aspect to you in the form of a person because you so suppress that and you so give yourself away 
and he reflects the extreme self-focus. You might reflect the extreme non-self-focus. And so that's a disowned part of yourself that you attract to in an extreme way to reflect your own disconnection, that you actually need to be a bit more selfish, a bit more self-focused, a bit more self-centered or soulfish, shall we say, self-centered, selfish, self-thinking. And that's why you keep attracting that dynamic. And you see all lessons are repeated until learned. And the mirror doesn't lie. Oh, I keep attracting to me people that cheat. How do you cheat on yourself? How do you not honor yourself? How do you not choose yourself? These are all things that we get to take responsibility and own. The other thing I'll say is, in relationship, from a very young age, every single thing that happens to us, every memory, everything from childhood gets stored in our nervous system. The nervous system is the antenna to the world. Information comes in, it gets filtered through the nervous system or the state of health of our nervous system, based on the state of our nervous system and all of the programming of our nervous system, we make up an interpretation of reality. We make up an interpretation about a person that may not necessarily be accurate. And we're making up a reality based on really the interpretive capacity of our nervous system that often isn't accurate, but it's a filter. And so growing up, if let's say dad wasn't emotionally available, wasn't around, wasn't there for us, abandoned us. Maybe we learn love isn't present, love isn't safe. Maybe someone died, mom died. Love isn't stable, love isn't present, love isn't here, mom left, abandonment, you know? And so what starts happening, or maybe mom or dad, someone was abusive. And so love is pain, love hurts. So unconsciously as children, we begin to associate in our nervous system an energetic patterning that, oh, love is pain. Love is abuse. Love feels a certain way. Not that it's right or wrong. It's just how the imprint happens. So now that gets associated as love, imprinted in our nervous system. So now unconsciously we go into the world as adults. We're 25, we're 35, we're 45, we're 55, whatever age we are. We go into life. We go into the world. Unconsciously we start gravitating. So let's say you meet someone at an event. You're like, oh, I like this person. Mm, I feel a connection with this person. Oh, I feel attracted to this person. Oh, I kind of feel like I know this person. Oh, I feel something. Oh, I, f- I feel very familiar. I feel like I know this person. And then the attraction happens. Then you connect. Then you fall in love. I feel like I've known you my entire life. Oh, my God. I, and it feels like love. Not realizing that, yeah, it feels familiar, but the energetic patterning often of what feels familiar is it feels familiar to the conditioned patterns of childhood and your unconscious association of love. And it's familiar because they're your mom. It's familiar energetically because there's a patterning that's like your dad. And we often don't realize. We think it's attraction. We think it's chemistry, but it's conditioning. And so that until we start becoming aware of our unconscious conditioning and our unresolved patterns, there's often an unconscious impulse inside of us that is seeking to heal those patterns as to where we attract and gravitate because it feels familiar. Even if it's painful, even if it's abusive, even if it hurts, it's just, this is what love feels like. Oh, this is what, I hate it. I don't like it, but it's what love feels like. And so we gravitate towards it. The the patterning, the puzzle in our nervous system gravitates towards it. So we have to start becoming conscious of our conditioning. We have to begin to process, release, 
let go and program ourselves from our conditioned patterns so that we can heal and start attracting and being attracted to different energies in relationships. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. (laughs) Okay. There's one more story before I close this up, but I wanted you to talk about the Camino Santiago trail with the yellow arrows about the surrender. I love that story. Yeah, I don't know which part you want to know about it, but but the whatever Camino, comes to you, whatever the, comes to you. The Camino is a 900 kilometer walk in northern Spain, and I did this, I think, when I was 21, 22 years old. How old are you now? Ageless. I'm in my 40s. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm ageless too. <laughs> yeah, no, it's all good. But yeah, I did it. I mean, I was very young. I was 21, 22, maybe 23 in that zone, okay. and I was guided to do the Camino. And the Camino, the only thing, I mean, it's changed a lot, but the Camino is on a 900 kilometer trail through the north of Spain, where people like Dante, Chaucer, a lot of sort of mystics and monks and saints and sinners do this trail as a healing trail because it's on an energetic vortex line. And, uh, it's an intense walk. I mean, on a physical level, it's an intense walk, but when you, on a vortex line of energy, places like Sedona and Mount Shasta and Machu Picchu, Jerusalem, they're all on energy vortexes that have a certain frequency that you know instigate and trigger healing inside of your nervous system and psyche. And so this entire walk is on a vortex line. And so um, basically along the trail, you have yellow arrows. A yellow arrow is, point, is painted on a tree. A yellow arrow is pointed, painted on a wall. A yellow arrow is painted on a, you know, shed. And you'll see yellow arrows along the trail. And so you can literally go for tens of kilometers with no, nothing other than yellow arrows. And the entire essence is follow the yellow arrows and allowing the yellow arrows to guide you meant to be kind of symbolic for life and that there are clues along the journey of life. And part of life is following the arrows and following yellow arrows. And so, yeah, along this trail, you get to see yourself and you get to see your patterns. And I think that's how life is, you know. Life is a process and life is a journey. And we are often so fixated on getting to the destination. We are often so fixated on getting to the end, thinking that there is an end, not realizing that every step on the journey is the process. Every step on the journey is the journey itself. And I know that when I walked the journey, I was so attached to rushing to the end like it was a race hmm. that I missed the nature around me. I missed the sun. The sun. I missed all the people. I missed so many of the, the people I met. Like I was rushing to the end. I remember on day three of this journey, I was literally sprinting through the journey like I was going to get some kind of medal. And my uh, feet and my ankles were so swollen. I didn't think I would be able to continue. And it was a miracle. Like we would sleep. People, pilgrims would sleep along the way. There were like these little monasteries in different places. And I remember seeing one man and I was in the bathroom and I was kind of crying because my ego was crushed because I didn't think I'd be able to make it. Hmm. And he looked at me and he said, what's wrong? And I said, "Uh, my legs are so hurt after walking, like literally straight up the Pyrenees, straight down into north, in, into the south of France, that I said, I don't think I'm going to be able to make this journey. If this is day three, I'm going to die, basically. And he said, you have to learn 
to love your feet. I said, what do you mean? And I realized he was giving me a code. You have to learn to love your feet. And he said, every, you know, every hour, just stop for a moment. Sit, look around, massage your feet, bless your feet, love your feet, and enjoy the process. And if you love your feet along the way, you'll make it to the end. And I saw that in a simple moment, I realized I wasn't loving myself through the process of life. I was so hard on myself in an effort to heal, in an effort to get somewhere, that I wasn't loving myself in the process, in the journey. And I was missing out on life. And so I began to stop along the way and love my feet, and <laughs> massage my feet and look around and connect to the earth and nature and the sun. And it transformed my relationship to life, you know? And I think when we start understanding that the destination is the journey, then every step is exactly where you're meant to be. It changes everything. That there really is nowhere to get to the right. way you are. And uh, I think life takes on a whole different quality. And then you kind of surrender to the moment, wherever you are, trusting that wherever you are is where you're meant to be. And trusting that life is always working for your highest good, even if you can't see it in this moment. Yes. And many times from the perspective of the mind or the ego, when we don't get what we thought we wanted, we suffer. When we don't get what we thought we wanted, it's painful. But from the perspective of the ego, we're not able to see all of the infinite ways that the universe is working out for our highest good. And we don't understand why things aren't happening. But if everyone thinks right now, if you think about something you really wanted, or you think about, let's say, a relationship from a decade or two ago, you met someone and you really wanted to be with that person. You could not imagine not being with that person. Like they were the one for you. And then it didn't work out. And you can imagine finding love again. And now, 2023, you look back and go, what the hell was I thinking? Thank God that didn't work out. You know? <laughs> and, and so in so many ways, Sometimes what we think we want in a moment is just what we think we want, but life has a bigger intelligence. And from the perspective of the ego, we're not able to see the greater unfolding of life. And I think that's the journey of life. You know, life is a journey moment to moment. Yes. Oh, Coot, you're just something else, I tell you. Are you still doing your retreats in Bali? Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that because there are 12 days and I kind of want to go through like um, what we'll end on that and we can tell everybody your website. So twice a year for the last, since 2011, almost 10 years now, minus COVID year, I have done these amazing journeys to Bali. They're transformational immersion, experiential seminar trainings without walls. I think unlike anything on the planet where I use Bali as the backdrop. And it's a 12-day immersion process where I unplug you from your typical reality of the world and the matrix. And I make you go inside. And I design a systematic step-by-step structured process that is designed to help you uncover the layers of your conditioning, most of which we're not even aware of, and peel that away and heal that and then reconnect you to your own self and your soul and then help build you so that you can share your gifts with the world. And so it's 12 days. It's in Bali. Uh, this year, 2023 is the last year that I'm doing these events. I have done 20 of these events and they have been beyond words, life-changing. 
The next one for those that are interested is July, July the 28th to August the 8th. And people can apply. You have to feel a calling. You have to feel a calling because you really have to want to be there because it's, it's unique and you're going to be challenged and you're going to be stretched, but it's so profound and people can go to www.boundlessblissbali.com to find out more. And it's about freedom. You know, we can read about surrender, but it's another thing to experience a process that is designed to help you peel away the layers of conditioning that prevent you from living and being surrender. And so that that's really what it's about. Why your last one? Then what are you going to do? It's my last year. So we're doing July and then December. And I've done 20. Okay. Yeah, I've done 20 of these. So I've done a lot and they're very intense. And so I'm just evolving my work. Can okay. Be focusing on larger events, bigger seminars, online stuff, and just, just focusing on, on more, more scale events than the small processes. Yeah. When I see you speak on the stage, I see like, you know, I've been to Date with Destiny or Tony oh, wow. Rob. I mean, I see you up there like holding that. Oh, I mean, you're just dynamic. Thank you, thank you. I could watch those videos. I told you like uh-huh. all day, you've really you, done Sam. something to me. I keep saying yeah. that, but it's so true. Makes me so, happy to hear. Makes me oh, happy. thank you. And that your book, The Magic of Surrender, I have sent it to so many people. I've already um, uh, started talking so much about it. You know, I think you, there's Sam. certain books that, that you read that the way you write too is so I just feel like I'm right there with you and you're telling me a story Uh, and I can see everything and I feel it. And I think that's why, like I wanted you to tell those stories because they really made an impact on the way, what the lesson you learned and made me reflect on my life and what I, you know, related to, but yeah, it's been, you know, what was interesting is it was not the book I thought I was going to write Uh, and it was not the book I wanted to write. And that was a humbling lesson for me because I had my own agenda for the book I thought I should write that the publishers would want, that would hit a bestseller list, that my audience would want. And I had an entire board of clever ideas that Coot came up with that I thought it's going to be one of these really smart ideas. And when I looked at the list, none of those felt authentic, to be honest. They felt like, yeah, cool ideas, but none of those felt aligned with my soul. And they felt manufactured. The Mm. only word that I wrote that stood out was the word surrender. And I Mm. thought, oh no, that's the book. That's the book. And I I resisted because I thought, you know, there's so many misconceptions about surrender today that people might resist it. But I knew in my gut, if I was being honest, that this was the book that was seeking to be written. And I had to surrender to the book about surrender when I did everything aligned. And and for me, my whole life began to make sense and everything I went through and my parents and just everything started making sense that this is the book and this is the topic that I was designed to write. And so sometimes life isn't what you think, but it's better than you think. That's what I want people to really take away, that surrender is the real password to freedom. Oh, love that. And we shall end on that. So let's, where can we find you, Coot? On yeah. Instagram and... Insta- Instagram, Coot Blackson, Facebook, Coot Blackson, cootblackson.com, my main website. And for the Bali event, www.boundlessblissbali.com. And only two more left. So get on that before that ends. 
<laughs> Is it calling you? It's calling me. <laughs> oh, thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the Uncover Your Magic podcast today. If you are inspired by what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this show on your favorite podcast player. If you would like to connect with me with any questions, comments, or feedback, please contact me at the Uncover Your Magic website. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget, always look for the magic.